When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Do you like what you're hearing right now? Then be sure to check out VOC Nation. Whether it's on vocnation.com or your favorite podcast provider, VOC Nation offers the greatest in live and on-demand content, great interviews, and incredible insight from those who have lived the business. Seven days a week, vocnation.com. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter at vocnation. Welcome to another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. Folks, today I've got a special guest, actually two, but one's my tag team partner today. The other is one of the best wrestlers and talkers during his era. He was best known for his time in the AWA, was a member of the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, teaming with and also teaming with Pretty Boy Larry Henning and Buddy Wolf. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce Mr. Larry Hanimi, and otherwise known as Luscious Lars Anderson, and my tag team partner today, Mr. George Shire. Larry, thanks for coming on today. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having having me. You know, Larry, uh, I watched you as a kid. I remember you very well. I didn't really care for you, so you did your part very well. Uh, especially when you were with uh, uh, Buddy Wolf and you guys had that uh, run in the AWA. What I'd like to talk about first is, you know, you were known as Luscious Lars Anderson for a while. There was also another Luscious, Johnny Valiant. I want to know, and I'm sure fans want to know, who had the name first? I did. I knew it! (laughs) You did. That's true. I knew it! All right. Very good. We got that out of the way. So, again, thank you for coming on this morning. I'd like to start out uh, growing up. You know, you're from Minnesota, originally born and raised. If you could, uh, talk about growing up there in Minnesota and your and your family, and what was that like for you? That was wonderful because my grandparents had a farm. My grandparents came in the, to the country in 1905 from Finland. And like they, they had a farm that was right next door to my dad's farm, which I which is in my name now. The whole property is on you know, my name. But in any event, you know, like I was pretty much raised by my grandparents. You know, like my grandmother and grandfather. Grandfather used to take me to town to this little town, Bovee, Minnesota. You know, on Saturday morning when he went shopping, and he spoke like 11 languages 
so oh, like wow. there was a Croatian, Croatian, or Serbian, and you know Czechoslovakian. There are all the little shopkeepers. You talk to them in their native language, you know. So anyway, when when uh, I was the favorite grandchild, and my grandmother, you know, like uh, <laughs> so it was it was very. I could walk back and forth, you know. I mean, yeah. the two farms were about a quarter of a mile away, so I could walk back and forth. And, you know, so things aren't going good with my dad, and mom. You know, I used to go over to grandpa's. <laughs> so anyway, it was a, it was a wonderful childhood. Wow, well, that's great. I want to talk to you about you know sports. Obviously, you're athletic. Uh, kind of sports were you involved in 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 high school and in, in, in college? Well, in high school, I I was I thought well, you know, I, I was vice president of the, the uh, well, I will get to college, but uh, in high school, you know, I played football, and then you know one day, you know, like. Uh, after practice, you know, I, I wanted to play basketball. You know, I wanted to be a basketball player. And I can, you know, I could not, I could not shoot very well, and I couldn't dribble. Very well. So in the in the locker room, there downstairs in the in the athletic building, there was a, a shower off to the side, and the wrestling pool off to the side. You know, so like, uh, you know, like. I came in one day, I opened the door, I put my nose up, oof, what is this smell in here, you know? <laughs> so they invited me in, you know, yeah, come in here, I mean, you know, so anyway, I pinned their, 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 uh, heavyweight, you know, the, the heavyweight on the team. So the next morning, the coach comes with, you know, catches me in the hall and says, my name is, he says, don't, don't worry about that basketball, you know, come up to wrestling. So I did actually. And it was a campus of the University of Minnesota, one of the, one of the schools that, uh, it was an athletic high school. I mean, an agricultural high school and there were four in the state, you know, so I went out for wrestling. I, I became the state champion in that particular league that year. So anyway, wow. That's where That's amazing. That is, uh, and you went to St. Cloud College, is that correct? Yeah, St. Cloud City, uh, State University, and uh, when I, I was uh, I was not on a scholarship. I was I had a scholarship at Augusta University, and like uh, you know, I came out for the team, and then I, you know, about two days later, I told the coaches that I'm gonna, I think I need to transfer, you know, go to this other school. And they gave me a scholarship on the spot. So, anyway. Wow. I, I worked awesome. my way through. I wait, worked my way through uh, college, you know, like playing football. Wow. And okay. Well, let's talk about you getting into the business. So, what or who, I guess, inspired you to say, you know what, I'm going to go into pro wrestling? What was how did that come about for you? Okay, well, I had, you know, like in the summertime, I lived in Minneapolis, you know, worked at a factory and at a foundry and a tire factory. And um, the, I knew Bill because I, I went swimming at this one particular lake in Minneapolis. 
and Bill Casista, who was a booker in the Minneapolis wrestling office, I knew him, you know, like mm-hmm. I met him there, you know, big man, old time wrestler, you know, so, uh, I, I knew him, and then, um, they were having a wrestling match, Ron Gagne was on the card, they were having a wrestling match at the, uh, armory in St. Cloud, and, uh, what had what happened was I thought, well, you know, I knew Bill Tosisto, so I called Bill Tosisto up, you know, and, and uh, well, take it take it back a step or two. Buddy Wolf knew Bob Rasmussen. Bob Rasmussen used to work in the Minneapolis wrestling office. He was also worked for the wrestling office. He also was a you know Canadian football player, University of Minnesota grad. And he was doing his graduate work at St. Cloud State, you know, like Buddy Wolf knew him. And, you know, Bob, Bob had, apparently had issues with Ganya and Frank. So in any, in any event, you know, like, uh, he was becoming too popular, you know, so he quit wrestling and Buddy knew him. So in any event, uh, I called Bill Tosisto up. And told him I'd like to meet Byrne. I'm thinking, you know, maybe I'm going into pro wrestling, blah, blah, you know. So, in any event, I put on all, you know, I was at that time, I played football around 240, 235, 240. At that time, I was wrestling 191 in college, you know, and, and had sent at some time had cut down to 177 for the National Collegiate. Wow. So, <laughs> cut down, yeah. So, anyway, I put on all my you know, two two heavy sweaters on, and I went down to the wrestling match, you know, to meet Fern. And I was at that time going to uh, wrestle the National AU tournament at San Francisco Buddy Club, you know. So he said, "Well, when you get back, you know, like in contact, you know, we'll figure out something." So when I got back, you know, like uh, he, uh, I placed third, you know, because. You know, I wasn't really a heavyweight at that time. And the other guys were, you know, in their 270, 280, you know. <laughs> anyway, so uh, when I got back, he set up a, a, a you know, training ring at his one of the farms that he owned outside of Minneapolis. And then Eddie Sharkey used to come out and train me. And uh, Gene Anderson trained me. And Merton would train me. And, you know, so. In any of that's how it all started. Wow. Go ahead, one George. Of things, one of the things, Larry, that, uh, you know, some of our listeners may not know is when you mentioned these training camps, uh, Vern Gagne had regular, every other year or so, he would hold a camp and have a few guys or one guy particularly, and he would work with them. And he pretty much did this for well into the 70s. Right. And Gene Anderson was obviously one of those original trainees with Vern. And you mentioned Bob Rasmussen. That's an old name that a lot of people wouldn't recognize, but he did have some of his initial training with Vern. And in the very, very early 60s, he was one of the guys that, uh, you know, was touted in some of the early main events as a young kid coming into the business. But he was was really, I remember seeing him. He's a decent, very decent worker. Right. And so when you uh, went through the camp, I know you said Gene Anderson uh, 
assisted some, and so did Eddie Sharkey. Um, maybe share with us, because we don't always hear this, what what did the camp encompass? I mean, when you went in there, did you were you ever enlightened to anything in the business, or was it basically showing you the moves, how to fall, how to do whatever? Yeah, Give us a little insight. Okay, yeah, well, basically it was the moves, the bumps, and so forth. Yeah, the enlightenment came a little bit later. But I, okay. I remember that first day of training, you know, like, uh, you know, taking the bumps and, you know, like, when I got home, you know, like, I, I basically crawled from the, from the uh, car yeah. to, to the tub, to the bathroom, you know, and so for about an hour and a half. Sure. When when you were working, uh, I'm I'm gonna guess that you really forged a good friendship with Gene during right. this time. And I know when you made your pro wrestling debut, which if my old memory serves me correctly, and I know I was there for at least the St. Paul uh, debut, you were uh, obviously touted as one of Vern's new rookies. This would have been in 1965. I believe it was September, so we're probably going back here. Or 65, that's what I said, yeah. So we're basically going back, you know, 60, almost 60 years ago. But uh, I remember you wrestled a guy by the name of Guy Taylor in that first match. Yeah. uh, But what I really paid attention to at the time, because you were obviously touted as a babyface, a good guy, in your right. young years there, and a lot of your very first matches in the AWA were against Gene Anderson. Right. Yeah. And, of course, I'm guessing that was further training, and it also uh, continued to help you learn what you needed to learn to be a success. Right, exactly. You know, And then what happened was uh, Gene was, was going on the road, and... Uh, he sort of suggested, you know, that we become tag team partners, you know, because the reality of it was I could talk. Yep. And Gene couldn't talk about it. You know, so that's what he needed, you know, so. Yeah. Well, and the one thing we learned about wrestling, at least in that era, how important it was to be good on the microphone. And, you know, like you said, I, I remember Gene from the six, the very early 60s, and he he wasn't able to do the best on the mic, and so obviously having a talker with him, I can see how that would have been important. Yeah, so that, that, that's how it all started, you know, and then, you know, uh, Vern booked us in Tennessee. Yeah. You know, like, and then we, I had a car, I mean, uh, 64, when I graduated, I got a new car, 64, almost convertible. And, Good car. And I drove, drove them all, drove Gene around and, and maybe one or two other people, you know, that wanted to pay some transportation and get to the, to, to the place. But, uh, we were in Tennessee, I think six weeks. And it was the most miserable experience I ever had in my life. How many times have I heard that? You know, it's like, yeah. you know, one time we were going up into, you know, like Kentucky, you know, somewhere in Hazard, Hazard County, Kentucky, or somewhere like that. 
sent us out as uh, medics, you know, like put masks on us, you know, because the medics were, were, you know, top team there, you know. Yeah. So anyway, we're about halfway through the match. The first doctor, you know, like he was winding up this, you know, a mountain, you know, my God, getting up there. And the first, you know, we're about halfway through the match, and I said, gee, look, look over there, you know, like, you know, like, what the hell's going on? There's a high sheriff with a gun pointed at the ring, you know, like, by the locker room with a gun pointed at the ring. So what the hell's going on here? You know, so we got the match over quickly and got the hell out of there. You know, okay. never, never went out as a medic again. <laughs> <laughs> Who's, uh, was it Gene that came up with the idea of being brothers? Having a brother tag? Oh, no, no. Yeah, well, actually, not really. You know, like, when my grandparents came to the country, my father was, you know, like, uh, uh, I mean, my grandfather, you know, was trying to get a job in the iron ore mines. Hainami, Finnish name. And at that time, you know, the Finlanders, you know, were, were considered, you know, like, they were socialists, you know, they were like, wanted to unionize, they wanted to do, you know, these things, you know, so they, they were pretty much unemployable, you know, so he changed his name to Anderson for a while, so that there was some, I have cousins that are named Anderson, Okay. you know, so it sort of, you know, came naturally, but then he, when he went back to Finland, you know, on a visit, you know, what are you afraid of, you know, shame to your name, so he changed it back to him, but he, he never did work much in the Anormal. Well, obviously, anybody that's followed the old wrestling realizes that once the Gene and Lars Anderson Minnesota Wrecking Crew team, right. uh, you pretty much took over the Southern Rings. Well, for, from, from I, I had called Byrne about, you know, Tennessee. You know, yeah. so this, this is like ridiculous, you know. So he then got on the phone, apparently, and called Jim Crockett, the other Jim, Jim Crockett, yeah. you know, and uh, got us booked there, you know, so that, that's that's how it sort of all started, you know, with the Anderson. Now, you obviously were about two years with Gene. Yeah. And then uh, eventually the third brother, Oli, came yeah. along, and that was Alan Rogowski, Rock Rogowski. Yeah. Um, was was there a time when you wanted to come back home, or was this something, because you came back here in about 19, late 1968 to Minnesota. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, the way that, that that all went down, you know, I, I, was, I had gone uh, to back to, you know, for a weekend back to Minnesota mm-hmm. to play in the uh, alumni football game, you know, like alumni, you know, the old football players, whatever, but anyway, and, and I saw Alan Rogowski, and incidentally, you know, Alan and I had a, a little bit of a history, you know, in terms, of, in college, you know, like, he was, he always came out, like, he was a jock, I mean, I was a jock, and he was in the you know, fraternity, okay. and um, he, he, he always imitated the crusher, you know, like, yeah. so, so ended. I I don't recall how it actually ended up, but we ended up having a wrestling match, you know, you know, amateur wrestling match, 
you know, in the athletic building, sold out, you know, <laughs> anyway. So that, that was part of the beginning of the interaction between Alan and myself. And then a little bit later, when I, when I had, I came for the alumni game, you know, he talked to me. He was, he, Gavern was starting to train him at that time. So he talked about maybe coming down, could I get him booked and blah, blah, blah. I said, we'll bring in as the third brother, you know. So he gets off the plane in Charlotte, you know, and like, uh, he, you know, I pick him up and he says, uh, so, so what's my name? I said, you're only, what, what? Why is this your You know, and then, and then the way we, the way we got this huge, huge introduction was we were, Gene and I were wrestling on Raleigh Television. We were wrestling uh, George Becker and Johnny Weaver, who were the, the big stars in that area, you know, at that time. You know, so the, uh, this was going into the summertime, you know, so the, uh, we were pounding on them and pounding on them, you know, they were making a little bit of a comeback. And out, out from behind the curtain comes Ole, jumps in the ring, pounds on him. You know, so they, they wanted, you know, at that time, they wanted, you know, to like go into the summer with a, with a big, you know, big bang, you know, and, and sell out these buildings. And out from the other curtain comes somebody that they've never seen before, Sailor R. Thomas. Oh, you know, yeah. Sailor R. Thomas, you know, is throws me over the top rope, only over the top rope, not on the tight rope, not <laughs> over the top rope. Coaching over the top rope, you know, and that, that was, uh, you know, history there, you know, like. Yeah. You know, all summer long we sold out, you know, like outdoor buildings, you know, but like you couldn't believe it. You know. And it's interesting that you mentioned the combination of uh, Becker Weaver and uh, Sailor R. Thomas. I actually have a lot of the programs from that territory at that time. So what you're talking about is very vivid for me. You mentioned, you know, I just want to throw this in. When Ole Rock, Alan Rogowski, first started, uh, and you mentioned the Crusher, that he liked the Crusher, uh, the very first references for... Al Rogowski, when he made his debut here in Minnesota, they reported that he was allegedly uh, related to the Crusher and the Bruiser. And at the time, uh, Rock had the crew cut, pretty much looked a little bit more like Crusher or Bruiser at the time. Then throughout his career, he was related, uh, supposedly he was a nephew to the Bruiser as Rock Rogowski. But, of course, when he went with the Andersons, all of that uh, lineage went down the tube, and we never heard of it again. He was was Ole Anderson. Anderson. Yeah. So I I remember your run with the six-man tags and things, and that was obviously good. And you're right. They were good houses. Um, So at what point when you decided you were going to come back here? I know it was in 68. And all of a sudden when you came back, you were no longer Larry Hainimi, as they pronounced it on TV, and you told the fans that you were luscious Lars Anderson. Correct. And you were hooked up with Larry Hennig, who was pretty boy in those days. Um, Larry needed a new partner because Harley Race had departed. 
after right. a long run. So maybe tell us a little bit how that move back came and how that went. Well, it just it just uh, you know, sort of naturally blended in. I, I tried to incorporate you know the style that the Andersons worked, exactly, but you know, yeah. like he he wasn't <laughs> he wasn't as mobile. I mean, he wasn't as as flexible in terms of you know he had his own style and whatever. Right. But uh, I do recall one time we were we were working on top, you know, in, in uh, all all around the territory, and then in Duluth, or I, I had I had injured my my knee, you know, like, and he had injured his knee. I remember one time we're we're like going, you know, getting got in the ring. But basically, you know, like you have to like lean on each other, you know, to move, you know, or walking to the ranges. We both had, you know, injured knees. Anyway. Well, you, cert- you certainly had a good run as Lars Anderson and Larry Hennig together. The um, I know you were on top. You you had matches against the Vachon brothers. Right. You re- you wrestled uh, Billy Lyons and Red Bastine. And uh, had a long feud with Pepper Gomez, Hercules Cortez a little bit. So when I look back, that was the Lars Anderson that I remember the most. Right. And I, I do know you one of your great feuds, and I, I'd like to get your opinion of a couple of guys as far as wrestling them. You had a long-running program here with Cowboy Bill Watts. Right. And it was fantastic because you were using a hold, which was basically a suplex or a souple. Gordon Soley pronounced it that way. But it, you called it the hydrogen bomb. And Bill Watts had his Oklahoma stampede. And they worked a TV angle where uh, you were going to demonstrate your respective holds to each other and who was more devastating. And then you had a great program with Watts. How was Bill Watts to work within the ring and as an opponent? I mean, you had a long program together. Uh, he was he was reasonably easy to work with, as long as you worked along his style. <laughs> he, he, okay. He was not he was not like I said flexible. When I, when right. I mean flexible. I mean, okay, we can do it this way. No, we can't do it that way. We're going to do it this way. So any but anyway, we had a. Tremendous success. We sold out everywhere. Yeah. Like Milwaukee, Denver, Winnipeg. And I can tell you a quick story there, you know, like in terms of the payoffs, the payoffs, I mean, it was a huge payoffs. And Ganya was considered one of the best payoffs in the industry, you know. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like uh, we had, we sold out everywhere, and I'm looking at my paychecks. Great, great. We sold out Winnipeg, you know, and I get the worst payoff I've had. You know, for, for both Burn and Wally were in Florida on vacation. When I got the paycheck, you go, what the hell is this? You know, Harvard would say, well, I didn't make the payoff. You know, like the guy that promoted, I forget his name. I'll get it. Har- uh, in Winnipeg? Yeah. Harvey Solon? No, Harvey Solon. Oh. Or Leroy, uh, Leroy Hirsch, maybe? Al no, I, can't, I can't remember. But in, okay. in any event, 
you know, like Wally says, well, he he made the payoff, you know, because the undercard, I mean, you had like halfway up the card, you had Mad Dog and Sean, you had a huge undercard, you know, so <laughs> he said, well, you know, the whoever it was that made the payoff, I can't think, I can see him, but I can't think of him. But anyway, you know, he said he made the payoff because he thought all the guys were about, you know, were equal. You know, all oh, the guys boy. Were equal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let, let me ask you this. So I think that as a heel, you were as believable as they come. As Brian pointed out early, he didn't like you as a heel. And that was doing your job. If, if the fans booed you, you were doing your job. Um, did you enjoy being a heel or would you rather have been a face in wrestling? No. Which one was more comfortable for you? Uh, being a heel, you know, like, I, I was a very good bad guy. Yeah. Yes. A very quick story there. You know, when, when I was an amateur wrestler, we wrestled Superior State College, and I, you know, came to fans, you know, pretty good crowds, you know, that amateur wrestler. But in any event, you know, they, they clapped and cheered and, you know, whatever. But when I wrestled, when I came out to wrestle, they threw popcorn boxes at me and booed me. That was a natural deal. Working, working with Larry Hennig, I, I want, uh, I don't know, Brian, are you able to show that picture of the yeah. Hennig, and, or Hennig and Lars together on yeah. the interview? Are you able to pull that one up? You bet I am. Hang on one second here. And and to lead into this, uh, Larry, well, there's Larry Hainimi when he started. We've got the Hennig and Lars Can Anderson move back there. A little bit? Yeah, go to the interview, the, the picture in the interview. There. Lars, Larry, you, this was the greatest thing because every interview you came out with, and we in the picture here, we see Lars Anderson, folks, you know, telling us how it is. And nobody could do it better. You were so good on the mic. But you always told us you had the secret. You had the secret that was going to result in the tag title. So. Oh, sorry. But I, I just want to say that uh, we never learned the secret. And maybe that's good because then it was a secret. How's that sound? I got to keep it a secret. There you go. There you go. There you go. But this is classic. This is classic Lars and Larry. You notice uh, Larry Hennig in the background is kind of just posing there. He's pretty boy, you know. And uh, what what led up to you leaving the AWA the first time or the second time around, uh, Larry, is you and Larry Hennig had been on top for almost three years as a team, and you were suspended. That was what the TV audience was told. And uh, you were sup supposedly suspended for injuring Pepper Gomez. And the, you had went too far, and Stanley Blackburn, the president, said, that's it, you're gone. Well, of course, you showed up in San Francisco, and... Uh, Nobody knew that at the time because we didn't have the Internet and all the luxuries we do today, so you were truly suspended. You were with Paul DeMarco out there. Can you talk a little bit about your San Francisco tour? And you guys, there you are with Paul DeMarco, Larry Hainimi, 
Actually, we're still Lars Anderson out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, like uh, I had actually wanted to get away from tag team wrestling. You know, that's why I went to Minnesota and ended up doing more tag team wrestling. And I, that's why I went to San Francisco to wrestle as a, you know, individual. But I ended up again with Paul Greeno as a tag team in South America. So it was, it was an interesting go around. I, I had just wanted to, you know, like I had been to the West Coast one time, you know, in terms of the amateur, you know, tournament at the San Francisco Athletic Club. But I, I just wanted to go and, and, uh, I was having some, you know, personal issues, right, with my family. So anyway. So after your run there in San Francisco, you did return to the AWA, and that was when you announced that you were no longer Lars Anderson. You wanted to be known by, as they pronounced it, Larry Hainimi, and you were still luscious, but you were going to go back to your regular name. Right. Uh, this picture he's showing here is from when you, that was a publicity picture, of course, they used when you came back as Luscious Lars. And uh, the hippie look in that tag, that era. Yeah. So when, when you came back to the AWA, um, I think, and I'd like your, your take on this, I think this was your best run when you were involved in feuds with the Crusher, Wahoo McDaniel, Brian, why don't you throw that picture up there if you can? Right there. Hainimi and Wolf won tag title, and you got Crusher's a loser. Wahoo is a loser. And you had, they each had different partners. You and Buddy were together. Um, I want you to know for what it's worth, I've always been a tag team fan all through the years. I, I love the science and the storytelling of tag teams. And you and Buddy, together, in my opinion, were probably at the top of the greatest tag team uh, of the AWA in the 70s. Just, just know that. You were so good together. But talk a little bit about this run and how that went for you. And then I have a question for you after that. Okay. Well, we had, we had a decent run. And, and uh, I had trained, you know, Buddy Wolf. And he was familiar with the Anderson style. Actually, he he, uh, came out to uh, Norfolk. He was he was uh, Norfolk, Virginia. He was uh, Mm -hmm. um, as a coach. He's coaching, you know, like uh, at some high school. I forget what high school. In any event, you know, like we would train. I would come early to Norfolk. You know, like. Once a week, you know, to do the training, help him, train, you know, work out, get him going. So he understood the style, you know, that the Andersons had, had really developed, you know, yeah. like watching and, you know, the, the way we worked. So it, it, it we, we, we actually formed a very good team for a while, you know, as long as it, as long well, as you, it you had great matches uh, against, obviously, Crusher, Wahoo, various partners. And you wrestled the High Flyers, Greg Gagne, Jim Brunzel. You had matches with uh, Billy Robinson and partners. Jeff Port, I know, was one of them. 
And uh, so here's my question for you. This great run you had, obviously you never got the tag team title in the AWA, and there were there it was always just too many teams around, I think. But you guys definitely, in my opinion at that time, were the best. In March, in March of 1975, you came on television, All-Star Wrestling, and you were going to wrestle Billy Robinson on that card they were talking about. And you made the you made the statement that this was going to be and this was 1975. You made the comment this was going to be your last match that you were retiring from the business, and win or lose against Billy, you were going to retire. And that was the last we heard of you, heard from you in the AWA. Right. However, you didn't retire because obviously we know that Lars Anderson resurfaced. Actually, Lars Anderson. But here's my question, if you care to give us anything on it. Was it your idea to leave at that point the AWA? Was it Vern's idea? Was it just a mutual thing? Or how did that all come about? Well, I was I had started a, a T-shirt store company. Yeah. You know, and uh, Mary Ganya, Vern's, Vern's wife, you know, she was in the studio. And, and she said... Larry, are you sure you want to retire? You know, I'm like, are you serious? And I said, yes, Mary, I am. You know, so, but so I, I started the national t-shirt t- company. I moved to Aspen, Colorado. Yeah, had had the store there, and then we had stores in New York. We had the first t-shirt stores in the country: Milwaukee, Chicago, New York, Scottsdale, Arizona, Atlanta. Two in Atlanta. Um, you know, it was like, uh, for example, you know, it was a exciting, it was a new, new industry and, and, and hit it at the right time. Like we would do, for example, in Aspen on a Friday afternoon, people were leaving, most of the tourists were leaving on Saturday. On Friday afternoon, we do like $5,000 in gross sales. You know? so we had like, I had 20, overall, I had 20 stores around the First, first national T-shirts are changed. Was that just yeah. your business, or was was right. Buddy Buddy Wolf involved in that at all? He he had he had a store. He bought a store. Okay. Store. okay. He had a store in Saint Cloud, and I had the original. I had the original store in Saint Cloud, and that later on sold to him. So would I be hearing you right then that at that point when you were going to retire that. You had intended to leave wrestling at that point? Yeah, or? I had. I had. Okay. And then, and then uh, what happened was I would, I would, uh, there's a water tower where I lived in, in Starwood in Aspen. There was a water tower. I used to walk up to the water tower and ponder what I'm going to look out at the mountains and ponder what I was going to do with my life, you know, and I wanted to get back into the wrestling business, you know, okay. so eventually I did get back into the wrestling And you, you did come back as Lars Anderson, and I know you did have some runs back with Ole and Gene. There was also a family feud there where you were actually wrestling against your brothers. Right. Yeah, we had, you know, in Atlanta, but, uh, Pretty much, you know, like, uh, at that time, you know, it was like a love-hate situation, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I liked it. I, I liked the wrestling, but at the same time, you know, I still have this other business, and you know, I, it was, uh, and, and only was a little bit difficult to deal with at that point. No kidding. <laughs> we've we've kind of heard that through the years. Um, I I actually only talked with Oli one time, and I got along very well with him. I I, I treasure the conversation we had many years ago. Um, I want to throw one more name out there and kind of get your feeling on it. Bob Roop. You you teamed with Bob Roop, and I think you're still friends, aren't you? Oh yeah, we are. He, he is a. He is a, a good friend of mine. He's such, I think he's a super guy. And uh, I always wanted him to come to the AWA because I always felt his style would have fit in so well. But he said he wasn't coming up here because it was too damn cold. So yeah. that was what he told me. Yeah. I'll so, tell you a quick story about Bob Ruth. You know, we were, we were uh, wrestling in Japan. Yep. And this uh, um, is Japan. And I had my knee was screwed up at the time, and uh, the uh, we were wrestling uh, Baba and and uh, Oki Kentaro. You know, Bob Roop and I were tag team partners. Mm-hmm. And I told the referee, I said, "Tell him to stay away from this knee." It's the first goddamn thing, you know, like you <laughs> know, I get Oki Kentaro starts like grinding on that knee, you know. So the next thing I'm up. You know, like punching, but boom, 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 you know, and, you know, like it was a, turned into a shoot. And Bob was pulling me back, and Luke was trying to pull me back, you know. So then the next morning, you know, the referee comes into the to the office or, or the next next show in the office. He says, uh, "Mr. Anderson's on, you know, like uh, uh, Oki would like to have you come." to uh, wrestle in Korea when this tour is over. You know, they offered me a huge amount of money, you know, Bob and I a huge amount of money, you know. So the Japanese audience, you know, like you, you can do everything and you can get a mmm out of them, a mmm out of them. So anyway, we're in, we're in Korea. I'm not thinking of the hell, but anyway. We're in Korea, you know, for the three-day tour, and then we're in the, in the main event, you know, in, in uh, I forget what building in Seoul it was. But in any event, first the ref, the the Oki's tag team partner is bleeding, and then Oki's bleeding, and then the referee is bleeding. And then the chairs start coming in, and the, whole, the bottles start coming in. You know, it was a, we had a you know like a police escort out, but God Almighty, I almost got you know we could have gotten killed. Or, you know, like it was a little bit too much. You know, like the Korean audience definitely not like a Japanese audience. It came totally unglued. So anyway, when uh, when you mentioned the the shoot before. Um, did you ever have on occasion certain wrestlers that would want to shoot on you in a ring or just to test you or, or did yeah. you ever shoot, did you ever test somebody? Let's kind of get uh, that question. Well, you know, like when I later got wrestling in Florida, you know, after the whole series thing, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I've read, had, had 
comedy style. But yeah, I had Carl Gotch shot on me. You know, wouldn't 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 uh, I couldn't work. You know. <laughs> How about, how about Billy Robinson? Billy Robinson never, never. I don't think he ever, you know, like worked with. He he worked. He, he didn't try to like manhandle you. Okay. One of the things that I've heard. One of the things that Vern told me when they first trained me, he said, "Look, he says you can you can wrestle, you can take care of yourself." If you want a guy to put him and be in a certain spot, he doesn't want to, you know, be in that spot. Put him there anyway. Control him. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and the only reason I brought up Robinson was because I've, I've had some wrestlers tell me that Billy was tough to work with if Billy didn't think you respected him or he didn't care for what you were doing, and then Billy could be a little difficult to work with. But generally speaking, if you respected him. You you could have a great match, and both of you could look great. In it. Yeah, right. Yeah. I have a weird question. As you went through your career, you obviously worked with many wrestlers, many different styles. Did you personally ever have a wrestler or wrestlers that you really enjoyed wrestling and you'd like to wrestle them every night? Or was there anybody you particularly said, I just don't want to work with this guy well, I mean, certain guys that didn't want to work with, you know, like, uh, particular wrestler. Not, not really. I mean, okay. I, I can, you know, think of the only, the only, uh, the only guy that I didn't like to work with was, was Pat Patterson, you know, like, okay. in San Francisco. And it's, you know. Yeah. You had you had a couple of title shots, obviously, when you were in the AWA with Vern Ganya when he was champion. Uh, was Vern good to work with, being one of his students per se? And oh yeah, he was easy to work. Yeah, good, good. Share with us a little bit about as your your wrestling career evolved, and then you 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 got into the promotion end of it. Right. Um, do you care to share any of that with us? Yeah, you know, like. I had, I was on a, when I went back to Minneapolis or Minnesota, you know, I eventually, you know, I started my own company, mm-hmm. World League Wrestling. You know, I had my own company. And uh, I was on the way to Winnipeg to do a co-promotion in Winnipeg. You know, I was promoting, you know, like Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Laura, Ontario, Manitoba, North and South, North and South Dakota, Wyoming, part of Colorado. You know, as a hotshot, but just from town to town type of thing. You know, but I mean, we sent out programs and and, and uh, you know posters and you know had had the armories and armories booked all over the place. But in any event, you know, like we're, I was going to Winnipeg. You know, through this ice and snow, and like, you know, I get there, I said, God almighty, what the hell kind of weather is this, you know, to deal with? You know, so the guy, the guy, the, I forget his name, but the guy that was co promoting there, Chef Tech, you know, anyway, 
you said that uh, Liam Idea was looking for somebody to be involved in uh, the promotion in Hawaii. You know, Peter Maivia had passed away. Mm-hmm. And I said, where's the nearest phone? <laughs> well, <laughs> Hawaii would phone. have been the first clue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So didn't have a phone, didn't have a little cell phone in those days. So, you know, got to the phone, called up, I said, you know, talked a little bit, blah, blah, you know. So anyway, two days later, I'm in, in Honolulu. And that's how it all started there, you know. So, I mean, my view is, you know, working with uh, with Leah. I'm sitting in my Paramount's high chief's chair, you know, like, and telling these Samoans, you know, what to do. And it, it, this is not an easy job <laughs> dealing with, with uh, Samoan culture, but got through it. How how long did you promote in Hawaii? I uh, went there in 83, and uh, 83, 84, 85, 6, up until uh, midnight, 95, I guess, something like that. Oh, wow. So, obviously, by that time, the business had changed drastically from the way you, you started in it 30 years earlier. Right. As far as... Uh, you know, yeah. WWF going national. And... Yeah, exactly. Well, anyway, the we we uh, had had developed it to the point where we did an outdoor show in in uh, Aloha, Aloha Stadium, hot summer night. And and what happened was, you know, like I conceived the idea of doing it outdoors. And we couldn't. We were doing maybe. 3,000 people or 3,500, 4,000 people in the, in the Blaisdell. And in any event, you know, like the, uh, you know, throwback to when we were in North Carolina that one summer that, you know, with Savar Thomas and so forth, you know, we would do in, in, uh, Roanoke, we would do maybe four or five thousand dollar house indoors, six thousand dollar house indoors. We go outside into the stadium, you know, we did fifteen, eighteen thousand, twenty thousand dollar house. You know, so it's a little you know, finally convinced Leah to do the do the Aloha Stadium, which we did, you know, twenty two thousand paid attendance or something like that. So mm-hmm. it was you know, it's a decent go around. But that brought about problems in that the Samoan said, Well and then I was bicycling the tape selling the tape. I had on satellite program network in Montana, Wyoming, Alaska market, you know, like selling the tape. So they saw the the one of the stockholders, one of the employees saw the potential of if I could do it, they could do it. Well Mm -hmm. they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it, but in the process, you know, they tried to kill me. So I got hit from behind in Lahaina, you know, they were trying to drag me trying to throw me in the ocean, you know, drown me. And the lady that was our ticket seller at the time got a, ran into the kitchen apparently and got a spoon and I was choking on my tongue and, you know, got my tongue out for them, you know. So anyway, oh, wow. it was, was sort of the time that I said, well, I might be trying to really retire from them. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, so you retired. Uh, what's, what's Larry Hainimi? Heinemi, Lars Anderson been doing since? 
Well, at that time, you know, like, I went into auto sales. You know, I became executive you know, auto sales at Acura of Honolulu, which was the the uh, first accurate dealership in the country. It became top sales year out, year in, year out, year out, year out. Wow. And then from there, you know, like, uh, moved, sort of retired, moved to California, Northern California, where I am now, looking out my window. Uh, and uh, my son had called me up. He was living in Hawaii, stayed in Hawaii. Uh, called me up and he, he said, uh, you know, why don't we, you know, check this out, you know, like when we go in the sales to the hydroponic industry, bags to the hydroponic industry. Oh, the hydroponic industry. I didn't know, you know, and so anyway, you know, so we made a contact in China and, uh, you know, started Shield and Seal Humidity. Well, Humidity came later, but Shield and Seal. Importing bags, black and clear. You know, his, his concept was black and clear bags and all clear bags and, and all black bags, you know, to the hydroponic industry. So that we've been doing it 12 years. And the last year we did 7.5 million in sales. We started out 22 million the first year. I mean, 22,000 the first year. Great. Great. So far, so far this year we're doing we're close to seven this year, so we'll probably go a little bit higher. So you're not retired at all? No. Do you, do you follow the current product of wrestling as it's evolved to the, what they I, call entertainment today? I, I see, I see it, I, I don't follow it as such, but I see it occasionally. How in the, what the hell are they doing? Guys jumping off ladders. Yeah. Slamming guys off the top rope and table or off the top into tables. I mean, it's beyond belief. Well, that's that's the way I look at it. How about how about any? I mean, obviously, the older we get, we lose our friends, we lose family. Many of your contemporaries are gone. But is there anybody that you still stay connected with in the business that you talk to regularly? Or no. No, I'm too, I'm too, uh, preoccupied. Too preoccupied? Okay. uh, When I was in college, when I was in college, you know, like I I was, uh, on a football scholarship. And, and, uh, I had to carry 12 credits and I only had 10. So I had the, the choice between the computer class and typing class. The computer class, the computer was in the hallway of the, of the main building, you know, like 10 feet long, four feet thick, six feet high. So what the hell is this thing? Is things worried? So stay away from this. So I took typing. So I typed today. I typed, right? Like this. That was a story. I typed with one finger. Yeah. 7.5 million with that finger. That's great. That's great. Anything else that you'd like to share with us? Go ahead, Brian. I was going to ask you one question. Is, you know, you were a major star, late 60s, 70s, into the early 80s. You were on all these other promotions. I just want to know why. This is pre-WWE. Why 
You never worked in the in New York at the WWF under Vince McMahon Sr. Is there a reason? No, it never it never really came up. I just uh, good question. I, I don't know. Just the uh, the pay scale in, in Minneapolis was the best in the industry. Okay. And then you go to San Francisco. And Roy Shires, you know, like played well, you know. So, no relation to George. <laughs> Vern Gagne, Vern Gagne always thought I was related to Roy, and he he kept that uh, belief until the day he passed. But uh, no, we weren't. Who was the best promoter? Now you mentioned payoffs. That's one of the things, Larry, that I hear guys talk about. That so and so was a bad payoff guy. This guy was good. You've complimented Vern, and I have heard people say that, that in the day Vern paid well, was a good territory. Uh, the schedule was usually better, I think, in the AWA than some of the other travel that you'd have to do. Who was the, just overall, who was your favorite guy to work for? I think probably Vern. Wow, good. That's nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah. All Anything right. else you'd like to share with us? No, I, no. You ask questions, I get the answer. <laughs> well, I want you to know something, and I, I said this earlier. Um, of all the tag teams I saw, I loved you and Larry together. I loved you and Gene together. I loved you and Buddy. I loved you as a singles wrestler. I mentioned the Watts feud. That's just one of them. Man, I love those matches. I really want you to know that uh, I told Brian before we went on, I said, I feel kind of important today because of all the podcasts that are out there on wrestling, Lars Anderson hasn't been on any of them. And so I want to thank you personally because uh, I feel like we pulled a coup here and we got you. And you are in the AWA lore, in wrestling lore itself. Uh, it wouldn't be good if we didn't include Lars Anderson, Larry Hainimi, because you definitely were a major player, and the names yeah. like Crusher and Bachwinkle and all these others, San Martino and whoever else gets in, mentioned all the time. But I don't think it could have been as great if you didn't have your contribution. So please yeah. accept my thanks for a great career and what you gave us. It's much appreciated. Thank you so much for the kind words, and thank you for inviting me. If you oh, ever want to I... come back on, if you feel like you ever want to come back on, I know Brian would agree. Just let me oh. know. We'll we'll let you talk about whatever you'd like to talk about. Yeah. Um, it's really been a pleasure. Honestly, thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. Yes, sir. I want to say, uh, you know, I'm a little bit younger than than George, and I do remember you. And like I said, you did your job because I didn't I didn't like you and, and Buddy or or Larry Henning. I, I I was pretty young back then, a little kid, but I but I remember it. And. Uh, I just want to tell you, uh, same as George, you know, and you look fantastic too. I mean, you're, you're, you, do. you look great. You look great. And, uh, I just want to say that thank you so much for coming on. And like George said, I, I really, my heart, I think you're underappreciated for the contributions that you gave to this business and don't get the recognition, uh, that you deserve. I mean, the guys that are behind me that are on my wall here, would not probably be where they were at without 
guys like you. That's the Hulk in the right-hand corner. Yeah. Yes, that's Hulk, and the other side is Flair. And in the you. middle, I have. Yeah. Go ahead. I'll tell you a quick story. You know, like uh, sure. when I was wrestling in Florida, you know, the Hulk had his first match in Tallahassee, Florida, against Jerry Briscoe. And he rode up with Gordy Nelson and I to the match, you know. Like, okay. He, he uh, was working with uh, Jerry Briscoe. Jerry Briscoe pinned him in the middle of the ring. He came in the locker room, flexing as he said, don't these guys know? Look at these arms. Don't they understand? <laughs> 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 anyway. You got to break in, right? You got to break in. <laughs> You know, the interesting thing is, Larry, when you point that out, I think if anything describes, in my opinion, how the business changed over the years, it, it became more guys like Hulk Hogan that could flex and have the muscles, and they didn't necessarily always have the talent to go with it. Right. And guys like you, who had the basics, who learned how to mat wrestle and how to work a match and the psychology that went with it, and to be a good heel or a good baby face, um, that's something that's really lost in today. At yeah. least I think so. In oh today's yeah, it's today. totally lost. Today. And yeah. and you are to thank for that because you you guys you knew how to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it it you know just a quick little side note here. It's it's like amazing. You know, like you're in a building with you know, like twenty thousand people, and you move your finger up. You know, like up the guy's back. You know, the people start screaming, and then you, you screaming, screaming, and then you pull it back down. You know, it, it's it's amazing. I mean, the feeling, the internal feeling that you have mm-hmm. at that time to be able to have that particular that audience totally under control. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's phenomenal. Well, people. you were one of the best at it. Please Thank know you. that. Right. And yeah. I'm not just saying that because you're here. I'm saying it because I no. totally believe it. So, again, yeah. very much thank you to you. Thank you. One more time, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Luscious Lars Anderson, also real name, Larry Hanimi. Thank you, sir, for coming on today. I really, We really appreciate it. George, thanks for coming on as well. A, a treat for everybody to enjoy. Uh, folks, if you're listening, thank you. If you're watching, thank you. If you haven't subscribed, please do so, and we will talk to you soon. Hey, this is Total Package, Lex Luger. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. VOC Nation owned Stro Maestro suffered a major medical and financial catastrophe this year. From the VOC Nation family, to all of you, please continue to pray for Stro Maestro for his continued recovery. You can also donate to his cause, paypal.me slash the worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Check out In the Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you and Ray are there too, right Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests. <laughs> 
like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, pregnant. I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Yo, this is Jerry Stein of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs here. You get ready to get nasty? Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts will include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hick, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Works. Archive-free content includes past interviews with huge names like Paul Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Singh, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter at VOC Nation. Phil After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, Tony here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's, uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect well, is? Well, I'll tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found a true world champion. I finally found... What's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think uh, I don't know what to say, but I, I want to say one thing. Bruno was an early champion. Here exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. So after, and once again, we're speaking here with Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiant? Well, actually, it was a, a, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a Did loss. Did have anything to do? Well, yes, but the whole thing is that the rules, as I always understood them, was that the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation 
Radio Network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. 